0: And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host Dr. Cat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all, from personal stories and lived experience, to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to the Mom & Mind Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kat. On our episode today, we are joined by Dr. Jessica Vernon. She is an OBGYN and she is also a mom who has a lived experience going through perinatal mental health conditions. And I'm really excited for this interview and for her perspective because We all know in the field how many moms fall through the cracks, and sometimes those cracks are related to providers not having enough information on how to identify what a pregnant or postpartum mom is going through in terms of their mental health and wellness. And you'll hear in this episode, Dr. Vernon's experience going through perinatal mental health conditions but also how it has inspired her to do work in her field to help make sure that residents who are going through their programs as OBGYNs have more adequate training. And I really do feel like this is so imperative in bridging the gaps in perinatal mental health identification and assessment and referral for treatment. So, It's a big deal that she is working on curriculum to make sure that other OBs get adequate training. Dr. Vernon is a board certified OBGYN and clinical assistant professor department of obstetrics and gynecology at the NYU Grossman school of medicine. She also is an advocate for maternal mental health and is the director of perinatal mental health at NYU Langone OBGYN. In addition to mental health, she's passionate about health equity and is the physician advisor for the NYU Black Motherhood Matters Committee and the physician director of the NYU Holistic Care Program for Black Mothers. She's been quoted in the media as an expert and has also shared her own experience with postpartum and anxiety and depression on national television. When she gave birth to her second daughter, she was able to implement the lessons and tools that she learned with her first child. She utilizes social media as well as her website and blog Metamorphosis to Mom to connect and share supportive, authentic content and curated resources related to the reproductive journey. So let's dive in and meet Dr. Jessica Vernon.
1: Welcome, Jessica. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Kat. This is such a an honor for me and so surreal because you were such a big part of my healing journey. I found your podcast early on and now coming full circle, it really helps me and how I work with others along their healing journey and how I speak to them and the questions I ask and the conversations we have. So I'm so happy to be here with you and share in this experience.
0: Thank you so much. I just love that the resources available to people and specifically for you that it helped. As you know, I was saying a little bit before we started, It's I don't know where this goes. I'm just sitting here having a conversation and it goes out into the world. And I just love hearing where it lands and who it, it lands with and how it helps. So I appreciate that so much. And I'm glad it was here for you when you needed it. That's, that's mm-hmm. the whole point.
1: And it still is. There's still so many things that are validating that I hear in your podcast and on your social media as well. So thank you for doing it out there. Well, yeah, I
0: appreciate that too. And it's still validating for me. I'm, you know, almost 13 years on in my experience and every once in a while, they'll still be like, oh, right. And I'll make a little connection that's useful for even me when I'm talking to people. So Mm -hmm. yeah, healing journeys are a trip. (laughs) Just, (laughs) (laughs) cool i'm really excited to hear about your experience in particular i think it's so useful for people to hear as an OBGYN gyn that you also experienced and went through something like this and i think people make assumptions about what certain professions know or can you know or what they need or don't need based on these maybe antiquated ideas of what we have about you know quote unquote doctors you know, being sort of above the fray of things in a certain way. So yeah, I'd love to hear about your experience.
1: Yeah, that's, and I think that those stereotypes, those visions of certain professionals really kind of feed into those illnesses when we have them, because we also are sometimes afraid to ask for help or to look weak or vulnerable. And so it is important to realize that everyone is just human and to be able to, give ourselves that same care that we give our patients and the people we're taking care of totally. Yeah. With my own experience, I had my first daughter five years ago, almost. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like anything was abnormal, really postpartum. I just felt like I was a hypervigilant new mom. And I felt that what I was experiencing was normal. However, Looking back, I know I definitely was suffering from severe anxiety mm. and OCD. I had a lot of intrusive thoughts. I was constantly checking on her. Mm. I felt overwhelmed and irritable. I was not sleeping <laughs> and I felt it was very hard to leave the house worrying about how what other moms would think about me or if my mm. daughter was crying or things weren't perfect, how it looked to other people. And so I often felt very isolated and alone in caring for her. Mm -hmm. And it didn't feel like something that I could reach out for help for, because I felt like every mom must go through this or if they didn't, then there was something wrong with me and I must Mm -hmm. be a failure in doing it wrong. And so that continued for almost two years. And then the weight of it all and the stress and the constant anxiety turned into depression as well. And I got to the point physically where I was just constantly exhausted. It was hard to focus and concentrate. I was still working as a OBGYN at this time. I was still seeing my patients, but I remember being in the middle of my day in the office and just having to like recollect myself. And it really took all of my energy to be like, okay, I have this many more patients to see this afternoon and and to really be able to get through the day and and give what i could to my patients and take care of them and then covid hit and i was in new york which was the epicenter yeah and so that really compounded everything to the point where i was just at my low and I knew that something was wrong. I didn't really know what it was. I still hadn't put it together that I was suffering from severe anxiety and now depression at this point, but I had had a history of anxiety in the past. And so I just went to my primary care provider and said, can you put me on Zoloft? And I noticed a difference pretty quickly. I could get a little bit of space from those constant thoughts in my head and from, the edge, I was constantly on edge that started to, to go away very quickly. And so it was only once I was on medication that I was able to look back and think this was something going on the whole time since I had the baby. I just had never treated it because I did not know.
0: And how long uh, was that from birth until the time you got medication?
1: It was almost two years.
0: That's a long time to suffer.
1: Yeah. 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 And I feel that now seeing other people, I feel that that's very, a very common experience because people yeah. just don't know what they're going through. Right, And as an OBGYN, someone who has all of the resources and being in New York where I can access therapists and psychiatrists and, you know, all the other mindfulness type activities you could want to do. And still, I had no idea about this. Mm-hmm. It really made the weight of it so heavy to think about what everyone else must be going through in places where they don't have this access. And as a provider who'd gone through extensive obstetrical training and had been practicing at that point for many years, I just didn't get the training. All we knew to look at was women who were very depressed. If they seemed to fit that quintessential severe depression, suicidal ideation. They didn't want to get out of bed. They thought of hurting themselves or their babies. We weren't taught about any of the other variations and nuances Mm. of prenatal mood and anxiety disorders. And so that experience really opened up to me the lack of training that we all had in this gap between what was out there and what we knew. And so that's when I started to focus my practice on educating myself with the comfort and knowledge to care for people suffering and struggling like I was, and then to help educate others as well.
0: Yeah, super. Like I said, that's a long time to suffer. And I don't know, I was just thinking about how it must have been for you while you were going through it, seeing other people who were pregnant and in their postpartum visits. And like, for me personally, i would after my experience, I would sort of like compare a little bit how I was feeling to how I heard other people talking about how they were feeling, like constantly trying to gauge if what was going on. And I wonder how it must've been for you to, to be meeting with patients.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It, at first when I was going through it, I didn't have the insight into what was going on with me to Mm -hmm. understand that this was something that I should be looking for in others. I didn't have the right language. I wasn't asking the right questions. Mm -hmm. And so when I was seeing other moms, I was still getting a lot of that feedback that, oh, everything's great. It's Mm -hmm. going okay. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it wasn't until later, once I knew what was going on and was able to really ask the right questions and create a safe space for people to open up, Mm -hmm. that then I started really getting into the experiences of others. And now when I'm in the office, I always tell my medical assistants, keep tissue boxes in my rooms because inevitably people will open up and they tell you how hard parts of their experience have been and they start crying and it's just giving them that space that it's okay, giving them permission to show that other side of it has really changed and show me how not alone I was Mm. when I was going through it. I just, I didn't know. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Right. So then people weren't the things that would have been on your radar. Is that like severe stuff that you had been taught, but still it doesn't sound like taught a lot about.
1: No, not taught a lot about. And when I went through training over a decade ago, now they, we weren't routinely screening Mm. the American college of OBGYN really didn't have a lot of guidelines in place then. And it wasn't really part of our routine practice. We'd go in, we didn't talk about it at all during pregnancy. We didn't even know about these things occurring in pregnancy and postpartum. We saw them once at a six week visit and it was mainly, you know, how are you feeling? How's the baby? How is everything? And when you go in with that sort of energy, then people typically respond, I'm great. The baby's great. You know, there's nothing there's not much room. It's like when you see someone out on the streets and you're like, Hey, how are you? And they're like, I'm great. But they're not like, well, actually, (laughs) you know, this really hard thing is going on right now. And so, and I realized it from my own experience with my obstetrician as well. She was a wonderful obstetrician. And I feel like she hinted to me in ways that maybe she'd had an experience similar looking back on it. But she never came out and talked to me about it. We weren't being screened in that office at the time. And so at my postpartum visit, I just, you know, I'm a hypervigilant new mom and this is Mm -hmm. how I'm supposed to be to take care of my baby. So I said the same thing. Everything's great. I'm doing wonderful. Mm -hmm. The baby's thriving. So everything must be good. Yeah, right.
0: So like you said, after you kind of figured out what was going on, what was the thing for you again, that kind of tipped you off that it might be time? to get other help?
1: Well, that was just, I knew that something was really off and I was like, it's either my anxiety again, or I have something like an autoimmune disorder or a cancer or something else that is Mm -hmm. making me feel this terrible. And so getting on the medication and then after that, I started seeing a therapist Mm -hmm. and I started doing some reading and I actually... Read the book Ordinary Insanity. Mm. I don't know if you've read that or I know of it. I haven't read it. Yeah. And I had just read an article about it in the New Yorker and I started reading it and I was like, wow, these people have some really extreme OCD and other things going on. That's not like me. And then as I got further in the book, I was like, oh, I did that. Oh, that these are things that I've been thinking. This is stuff that has totally been going on with me. And that was kind of my aha moment. Like, this isn't just anxiety related to the pandemic and stress of life. This is something that has been going on since I had my baby. Yeah. This
0: podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube. And she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs. What they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains.
2: If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.
0: You know, based on what I know of what you're doing now, it sounds like things completely shifted for you in, in your practice and how you work. And I mean, you gave us a glimpse into it about how you talk to people differently now, but what it's also set you on this other path. So what has come of your experience in your profession?
1: Sure. So this has become my passion and my mission to work with other birthing people who are having similar experiences from infertility to pregnancy loss to complicated pregnancies, history of anxiety and depression and postpartum depression. I have a lot of patients too who have a history of obstetrical trauma Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: they come to me for their subsequent pregnancy. Because they need that extra care and support. And because I've gone through it, I know it's so important to take that time to provide that. And so to really help me do that, I started doing some training on my own through the Cellini Institute, through Postpartum Support International. I also did a lot of reading with the work done in Massachusetts, where they trained primary care providers with algorithms to be able to diagnose and treat uncomplicated anxiety and depression. And I have some really great reproductive psychiatrists at NYU where I work, which I didn't even know was a field, by the way, until mm. after this all happened to me and I started saying, "We need better resources." <laughs> yeah, and just stumbled upon them, and they're amazing. And so. I've kind of created my own training in this, which has really helped me create a niche with taking care of patients who are facing these struggles. And it's been the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Mm -hmm. Sure. You see it the same when you see someone who is just struggling so much and they're able to feel like themselves again and actually just be in the present moment and be enjoying their baby or have a day where they're not just so anxious and stressed during their pregnancy. It feels so good to bring that care and that support to someone.
0: Yeah, it is amazing. It's like, it's one of the best things to be able to see somebody have have relief, especially because a lot of people don't totally believe that they can feel better. Well, you know, when they're really, really deep in it, It's hard to see how things could be different and then they get there and it's it's so awesome. It's super cool. So you're doing a lot of really important work in your field and trying to train sort of up and coming OBs on this. What's been the reception, I guess, to the information you're sharing?
1: Among the trainees, it's been amazing. One of my colleagues who actually just had a baby very recently, her and I have worked together for the past couple of years and she is actually the program director for our residency program now mm-hmm. and we got a grant together to create a curriculum for trainees and then we started working with the people from the National Curriculum of Reproductive Psychiatry as well and now we have a nationwide collaboration of obstetricians and psychiatrists to take the information that they've created for psychiatry trainees and distill it down to the level needed for OB trainees so that they can have the basic knowledge and comfort. NYU, we did the first lecture series last May, actually, for Mental Health Month, and we did a series of 10 didactics and had a Grand Browns, and they were so receptive. I think It's really encouraging to see the younger generation of people really focused on holistic care Mm. and looking at the behavioral and psychosocial aspects of caring for people and learning how to have these difficult conversations. And some of them have really been interested in doing further research and considering doing a combined type residency fellowship so that they can get more training than I've been able to get on my own. So they can really be fully equipped to be an obstetrician who has the ability to treat more complex patients as well. Wow. That's really awesome.
0: I mean, one of the things that I love about it is that speaking to the holistic part of it is that it's, we're trying really hard to break away from things being so siloed that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, OBs only deal with, pregnancy and that's it. Or whatever, you know, to be overly simplistic that the, like I said, up and coming OBs are really receptive to it. And I kind of wonder if you've been able to interact with, you know, maybe OBs who've been in practice for a long time and didn't get this kind of training, if they are also learning about this and integrating it into practice.
1: That's a great question. There are different levels of desire to delve into this. I think it's complicated, especially for providers who are in private practice, because often Mm -hmm. when I talk to them, they don't have time. They're not Mm -hmm. built for providing this extra layer of care. A lot of them haven't even incorporated routine screening yet because Mm -hmm. they don't know what to do when they get a positive result. In our office, we've built an integrated model with reproductive psychiatry and therapists. So we have people that can treat, and I treat patients as well. But a lot of private practices, even in a place like New York, you might have some resources that take insurance, but a lot don't or a lot don't take all insurance mm. or there's very long wait times. And so there's always this need to develop better systems where once we diagnose, how can we get them to the care they need? Otherwise you it feels like an effort in futility when you say, mm-hmm hey, your score was very high. I think you're at risk for this, but I have nowhere to send you. Call your insurance provider and see if they can help.
0: Mm -hmm. I think it still happens quite often for people who are screening. Yeah, it's really quite a challenge because it's, I mean, the OBs themselves have roadblocks to being able to provide. I mean, you've really had to create a whole different kind of a practice in order to...
1: Yeah, and it is more time intensive. It's more, it takes a lot more energy, you know, doing therapy. It can be draining. It's very rewarding, but it can also be draining. And when you see patients every 15 minutes, you don't really have that pause in between for self-care and reflection and taking care of yourself as well. So it is hard finding the balance between providing that level of care and also taking care of yourself. And being able to address everything that the patient needs in these little time periods that the system gives us <laughs> to take care of people. Right, for sure.
0: And speaking of a little bit more about what you're doing in your professional work, I mean, you're, you're doing quite a bit NYU. Can you speak to some of the kind of programs and initiatives that you have there?
1: Yeah. So the one program that we've really built out from scratch the past couple of years is a perinatal mental health um, integrated program in our faculty group practice. It's a large academic group practice with a lot of high risk obstetric providers as well. And mm. so we see a lot of patients who are at very high risk for perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And I would say our rates in our population are much higher. I mean, we've just started really getting good with our screening. So I think we're going to have that data Mm. in the next few years, but we have a lot of patients who are very anxious and then others who've had other complications that make them high risk for struggling during pregnancy and postpartum. And so now they get screened at the initial prenatal visit again at 24 to 28 weeks and then postpartum. And we use those screeners to help funnel them into services with our therapy, medication with a psychiatrist or by an OB provider if they're not deemed as high risk. And then we also collaborate with others in the community to provide additional resources and services. And that has been great, not just for people who screen positive, but also learning about the risk factors and teaching colleagues about the risk factors for PMADS. And so when you see a patient who's doing well initially, but she had infertility, she's had multiple miscarriages, she's a 40-year-old first-time mom, you can say, hey, you're at high risk for these things happening. Let me know if you want to see our therapist, if you want any additional support resources. I always recommend Postpartum Support International for their support groups and resources. And just giving them permission, again, to say, oh, I am struggling and it would be great to have this extra help so that, you know, we're on the same page. They know we're there to support them and it's okay to reach out and ask for help. And then we've also been integrating some of those aspects in the inpatient side as well. So patients who are admitted with, say, they broke broke their water early or they have severe preeclampsia and they're far from being delivered. Our reproductive psychiatrists are also able to rounds on them and see them in the hospital and integrate them into care that way, which is wonderful. And then we've also created another program specifically for our Black birthers, a holistic care program, because not a lot of our providers are Black and brown people. And so giving them a layer of support, which is in this case, a nurse navigator who connects with them throughout the pregnancy, does dedicated support groups and birthing classes, it's unearthed a lot of things that are so helpful for people who might not feel comfortable telling me something that they're feeling or that's going on. Mm -hmm. And then that nurse who's been in communication with them can circle back to me and say, hey, I'm really worried about her. She seems to be suffering from severe anxiety. Can you see her? And so it's another way to loop in and get people who might be lost in the system, which we know BIPOC patients are at you know, higher risk of PMEDs and lower risk of getting support and just all those other layers of being able to connect with someone who looks like you and the way that that can help in their care, I think has been really great. That's awesome.
0: As you were talking about the, the, it's just, it sounds like multiple layers of being able to have touch points with people and provide resources. This would be cool if everybody could do it. (laughs) If <laughs> if like the, the model that, that you guys have put together, you know, I'm just thinking of other physicians of whatever type who is hearing this can also hear that this could be possible with some time, you know, developing something with time to just to be able to not, you know, have people fall through the cracks and, mm-hmm. and get them to the help that they need. And more and more people are doing this kind of integrative support where there's a therapist in the clinic or in the OB clinic.
1: Yeah, we know how helpful that is. And having someone who's a specialist in that area, because I've had so many patients who have had providers, therapists, psychiatrists outside of the perinatal period, and then they get pregnant and they want to see our providers because sometimes their providers aren't knowledgeable. A lot of psychiatrists were not trained in in this area as well. Or their therapist might not recognize the specific symptoms of anxiety and depression that are different in pregnancy and postpartum than in the general population. Also patients with a history of trauma or obstetrical trauma and how that impacts their pregnancy or perinatal so thoughts. It's just, there's so many aspects that you really need someone who understands this. And I feel like we're starting to get more therapists who are doing additional training in this area too, which is really awesome. Yeah.
0: Still not enough, but yeah, the more and more people of all professions who are in contact with somebody who's dealing with fertility, pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, like all aspects of it, the better outcomes really for families all around, moms, dads, partners, babies, birthing folks, like everybody is better off for a long time if they have the right type of care and support during this window.
1: Yeah, 100% and I'm often having that conversation with pregnant and postpartum people as well is treating you is treating your family and caring for yourself actually decreases the risks for your baby. Mm-hmm. And you know, especially conversations around taking medication which many people are very resistant to do, understanding that there's some risks of anxiety and depression as well and so it's mm-hmm. not just a selfish act. If you decide to take medication, sometimes it can really benefit
3: the baby and the whole family as well. Yeah, absolutely. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above
0: So with all of the training you've had and the work you're doing, you have just such a broader view of the impact on other people, but also on yourself in your own experience. Obviously, looking back, you can see how you felt at that time. But when I met you in person, you had a big old lovely belly, (laughs) (laughs) a filled belly, I should say, and curious like how all of this impacted your pregnancy and postpartum.
1: Yeah. I mean, it took me a while to feel ready to have another baby. After my first, I didn't know if I would ever want to have another baby. And I made sure that I had a good plan in place when I got pregnant the second time. I also had to do IVF the second time, which is an additional risk, but I went through the whole process staying on my medication because I knew I would have higher risk of recurrence during pregnancy and postpartum if I went off. Mm -hmm. And I had a good therapist and psychiatrist who knew about this area in particular. Luckily we do have some good resources for that in New York. And I also made sure that I took time for Mm self-care and It's hard, especially as someone who's a very type A people pleaser, you know, doctors were known to just kind of pile more things on our plate. And when your boss or somebody's like, oh, let's have a meeting after work, or can you meet post-call? I used to be like, yeah, no problem. And this time I learned to say no, and I learned what my limits were so that I could take care of myself and be rested and be whole and have energy to do the things I needed to do. I also made sure I had a really good sleep plan for postpartum Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and luckily I was able to get some extra help for the first couple of months so that I could get some good sleep. I also had a scheduled C-section so I knew I'd be recovering from surgery and then the other thing that I talked through a lot with myself was breastfeeding. I breastfed the first time I mainly did pumping. She couldn't latch on well but I gave myself the grace to be able to stop breastfeeding or pumping at any time without feeling guilty or like a bad mom, because that is such a huge thing that can cause stress and lead to decompensation of mental health. And so I made sure I had a good plan in place for that as well. And just making sure my whole support system, they obviously knew what I'd gone through the first time because I've been very open and talking about it. And so they were all prepared and very supportive. And I knew I could reach out for help. And that, you know, being able to ask for help is such a hard thing when you're not used Mm -hmm. to doing it. But just to be able to say, maybe I don't need help, maybe I could do it all, but I want help right now. And that's what's going to help me be able to be a better mom and be able to take care of myself as well. That was a big difference. And the more I've asked for help and support, the better I've gotten at it. So now it doesn't feel like a failure on my part when I reach out to others, which is great. So all of that really helped prepare me. My husband and I also met with a therapist to kind of have a plan in place for our communication and make sure we were on the same page. Yeah. Is that, you know, being on the same page with your partner and them even understanding what's going on inside of your brain when you're postpartum is something that is very hard for someone who's never been postpartum. And so to kind of help them see and understand and anticipate what they need to do to support you best. That was also another layer we added on. That's so good.
0: Yeah, you checked all of those boxes. (laughs) There's (laughs) all of the good things to do. Yeah, if you can get to it for sure. What was... I mean, in comparison, what was the difference for you? How was the second postpartum?
1: It's been so much better. I'm seven months in, so we're not completely out of the <laughs> yet, but I've done all the major transitions. I stopped breastfeeding. I went back to work. I'm in a pretty stable place right now. And I actually enjoyed my baby this time, which is so different because I didn't realize how much I was in my own head and just so stressed and anxious all the time. Right that I don't really remember much of her early life. That's hard. Yeah. And so this time that was my big goal was to be present and be able to enjoy some of those little moments. And of course it's still a lot of work and it's hard and it's very stressful and you don't want to be there all the time, but just Mm -hmm. being able to pause and be there present and focused on her is, has Mm -hmm. been so great. And has brought so much more joy that I didn't have the first time.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you got to experience, experience it more how you had hoped and wanted to. It's really so tough. I mean, I can relate to what you're saying. I just, it's really difficult. Even now, sometimes that like looking back on the first postpartum and how much I missed and how much connection we missed, it's mm-hmm. really challenging you know, just those little like pangs of sadness still come up for me. Like I said, like, we're cool. She's 13 and very 13. <laughs> <laughs> and about everything's good. But still, you know, that's it's these are really important parts of our life. And if you can do all of those, you know, things that you learned how to do, it just mm-hmm. makes such a difference.
1: I was lucky that I had the capability and those resources available. A lot of people don't. And we know there's so many failures in our system to take care of people postpartum. I took an extended maternity leave. I wasn't paid for a lot of it, but I was lucky enough that I could do that and that my job approved it and my family could afford to go without my income for a few months and so, so many of those things that is a luxury to a lot of people here. So, you know, a lot of my thoughts and focus is now, are what can we do to better support people who can't afford these luxuries? And how can we work on these big system changes within the system itself so that people aren't struggling so much during pregnancy, postpartum? Mm-hmm. Right. And I
0: mean, to that the systems change part, there's sometimes um, it's easy to convince administration to to support that. And sometimes it's not, uh, you know, everybody has some sort of barrier within a system that that you have to work with or work around or all of that. So it's no small thing to change how your system is, is working. And it sounds like you have. This, yes. is, like, this <laughs> is like, you know, how can one person make a difference? This is this is it in these ways. It's, and of course people are around you and on board too, but it's this really important intersection of the lived experience and how it impacts your job. Like it just, right. You see things so differently after you go through it, you see how the system.
1: It's so different. And I, look back at things that I've said that all of you say, like when you're training in your early practice, like you get out of an emergency C-section and you're like, why is she upset? She's okay. The baby's okay. You know, these are the things or like Mm -hmm. someone is very aggressive acting or very defensive. And it's like, I'm doing everything I can for them. What, you know, and Mm -hmm. but you don't know where people are coming from and you don't know what's going on inside. And so just you know, making space for those recognitions. And that's something that I work with a lot with my younger colleagues in the residence as well. Like you don't know what part of this experience they're going to remember. And I've had people come back years after a miscarriage saying how the provider told me it's never left me. And it was so terrible Or you know, well, this I've had patients who had stat C-sections and said, well, that was fine. But then putting in the cervical ripening balloon, Mm. that was torture and that was traumatizing. And I felt like a Guinea pig, you know? So you Mm. just never know what things are going to affect people in what way. And so just approaching every step of the process, knowing that for us, it might be something we're doing every day, but for these people, this might be their only experience with the healthcare system and at their most vulnerable time, in their most hopeful time and mm. so what we're doing can really impact them the rest of their lives
0: yeah absolutely you know the work that you're doing is so super important and it's hard to know where you know the rest of the system is within the us anyways but there's so much potential here for practice to be done differently what are your kind of i guess hopes for for the OBGYN profession when it comes to this
1: I really, I think from my experience, what I hope for others is just making a more human connection mm-hmm. with their patients. As we talked about earlier on, often we have this veneer, we keep our guard up, we want to appear that we are all knowing and infallible. And that's really not the case. We're all human and vulnerable and have failures and there's things we don't know. And I think just showing that side to our patients, being a little more humble and vulnerable and giving them a space to relate to us on a human to human level Mm -hmm. makes so much difference because you never know someone else's lived experience and how that is going to impact how they perceive what they're going through in your care. And that has made such a big difference, just allowing that space and that connection for people to open up and realize that I'm a person too. And I've had my own struggles.
0: Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Thank you for that. That would be cool if everybody could do that. (laughs) (laughs) Like every single person everywhere. Yeah. And you've translated this also into another space for people on your website, Metamorphosis to Mom, and writing about it and just being... Public about it and, and present for people to learn from from you, and uh, just really appreciate your visibility in that way and creating resources.
1: Thank you. I think if anything that we do can just help one other person feel less alone and more validated in their experience, I think it's worth it. And so. I've definitely had colleagues and other people say, how do you do that? How do you put yourself out there? And it was not easy at first. Mm -hmm. It was really hard, but I stopped worrying about what other people were going to think about me and their judgments and just thinking about that person that I might reach and help. And that's definitely happened. I've had people reach out to me who are like, I really needed to hear this right now. And I'm sure you've had the same, Mm -hmm. that it's why we do what we do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I thank you so much for your time and for all of the work that you're doing. It's so incredibly important. And I yeah, thank you for sharing with us.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Kat, for everything that you do.
0: Please find and learn more from Dr. Jessica Vernon at her website, metamorphosistomom.com. And you can also find her on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Jessica Vernon. For those of you out there who think you might be dealing with a perinatal mental health condition, please know that I have created really easy to use online courses that are on demand and available at my website, wellmindperinatal.com slash online courses. I go over topics like how important sleep is and how to maybe get a little bit more, as well as how to recognize if you're having a perinatal mental health condition and some tools and tricks on how to cope during that time. And as usual, please do share this episode as far and as wide as possible, or just find that one person who you know could benefit from this information. It is so important that we're making sure that everyone knows that they're not alone. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com. Or you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at and Mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health.